Welcome to Verified Rx, your prescription for success. Brought to you by the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. Cyber attacks continue to be a major threat to multiple sectors in the United States. In an electronic world, providing pharmacy services and managing patient care during downtime can prove to be incredibly challenging, and organizations may not be adequately prepared for a prolonged event. I'm Gretchen Brummel, Pharmacy Executive Director in the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence and your program host. With me today are my Vizient colleagues, Peter Giordano, Vice President of Security and Compliance, and Randy Gerwitz, Senior Consulting Director in Pharmacy Solutions, to share their experiences and expertise. Welcome, both of you. Thanks for having us, Gretchen. Thanks for having me. Pete, our listeners got to learn a little about Randy during our last episode on preparedness. Can you tell us a little bit about your role here at Vizient? Sure. I'm the VP of IT Security and Compliance. So really, my role stems around three main areas. One of them would be security engineering, so keeping the business safe, your typical antivirus, anti-malware, that sort of thing, firewalls, think about that sort of stuff. Identity and access management, how people get access to things. And lastly, governance, risk, and compliance, making sure everybody's doing the right things and everybody's trying to protect the business in the right way. Kind of covers those three main areas, but it's a challenging environment, to say the least. Sounds like a lot to cover. What's the landscape right now in terms of health system threats and cybersecurity? The health systems are always under constant attack and are always one of the most attacked industries. And there's a few reasons for that. One of them is just the amount of data that they have and the financial motivation to get that data is very high. Also, the data is always very critical and it's urgent that those systems get back up and running. And the bad guys know that. So they want to take down a healthcare institution because they have a better chance of getting a ransom or something like that faster than they might an institution that just doesn't have such a critical need to be up and running all the time. Randy, what's your perspective? I stumbled across this really great quote, which has kind of become one of my favorites from 2021. It's from Dean Sittig out of University of Texas Health. And he stated that cyber criminals try every hospital, every day, every computer, multiple times a day. And I think that really kind of sums up the environment that we're in in healthcare, especially the last couple of years. And Pete, how can we educate staff about these risks and really help them understand the actions of their leadership teams? The risks out there really have a couple different forms, and we're all hopefully starting to take things like security education and awareness training and phishing exercises. And I'm guessing that most of our listeners see that in their own institutions and see their leaders implementing things like that. And we do that in our own institution to try to train people, because that is certainly one of the main vectors of attack is the user interaction with something. You get an email, it describes some sort of sense of urgency, that something's very, very important and is time bound. And we all lead very busy lives. And so it's very easy to just be as you're processing email, say, oh, I need to click on that or I need to open that attachment. And that one little action can have such devastating consequences. There's also another track that's maybe a little more timely. If, if we look back in history at malware events that have impacted healthcare systems and impacted our economy, if we go back all the way to the NotPetya attack, for instance, that was an attack that really wasn't meant to knock out the Maersk shipping line, but was actually meant as an attack against Ukrainian financial institutions, but it got out and leaked. When I see things like in the news recently around nation states attacking other states and things like that, I worry about those types of threats as well, which don't necessarily have user interaction at the front of them, but still have devastating impacts. And by doing things like tabletop exercises and training and making sure that our supply chains are resilient, we're protecting, I guess, both vectors because it really is two different places that things are coming from and some are under our control and some are not. Randy, anything to add to that? 
Pete summarized it really well. 2020 and 2021 offered some unique stressors and unique opportunities for cyber criminals. As we all in healthcare struggled to try to stay abreast of the latest COVID-19 information and stuff flying back and forth, it certainly would seem like we were all potentially easier targets for phishing attacks because emails and information related to COVID-19 was just everywhere and certainly would seem like a great opportunity. You've both mentioned phishing attacks. I'm wondering what are some of the other illicit strategies that we're seeing out there? The phishing attacks are certainly there and they'll take advantage of anything at any given time, whether it's trying to obtain PPE or rapid tests at a time when it's very difficult to find. We see lots of cases of fraud there. But some of the more creative things we've been seeing are USB drives being mailed to people at their homes or their places of business. And they're fancy looking USB drives and maybe there's a video on it with air quotes, but there's not. And it's a gateway for malicious software. The cyber criminals are very, very creative and it's tax season coming. So they're going to take advantage of a tax season that everybody's a little concerned about and really try to use any sort of sense of urgency or sense of immediacy to get people to fall victim to what they're doing. Quite concerning for sure. What are some of the implications for our frontline staff and patient care? Really, either of you. Some of the concerning trends for our employees in particular that we've seen over the last two to three years is as more healthcare organizations have better protected themselves and refused to pay ransomware attacks, we're seeing a greater exfiltration of information from these particular businesses. And that can also include information specific to the employee, not just to the patient's. We're also seeing reports, I think the first one came out of Finland, where we're seeing like these triple threat sort of attacks where there's ransomware involved, there's exfiltration of data, and then there's these criminals going directly after the people associated with some of that information, which could include the employees, which is just another evolution of the criminal intent here. Randy made a really good point there that it isn't just patient information that's vulnerable. It is employee information and PII as well. And the cyber criminals really don't care because each one is equally of value to them in terms of their ability to extort money or have use it for financial gain. So I think that is a really good point that it is not just patient information, but it's all PII and PHI together. And it also sounds like it's not always the case of clicking on a link and immediately the system crashes. Is that true? Most definitely true. We see many examples where what they call the dwell time, the time from when the initial compromise happens to when the attacker actually begins to leverage that compromise and move laterally in the environment can be sometimes hours to days to weeks to months. We've had experiences where it's been some months. And oftentimes what we've seen is that the initial attacker who compromises the initial system doesn't actually take it any further than that. They take that system and they put it up on an auction on the dark web somewhere for a period of time and that gets auctioned off to ransomware gangs who then will buy those and put those in their project queue to work. Eventually, when they get to that machine, then they'll start to work that target and move laterally in the environment. Oftentimes, the initial compromise is not what is subsequently used for the ransomware compromise. And how are mergers and acquisitions impacting this issue? M&A is a tricky area because oftentimes the desire is to integrate systems and integrate technologies as fast as possible, but in that is also some risk in doing so because there might be a long dwell time between a compromise and an actual escalation of that compromise. Then in an M&A activity, you might have a compromise that's already there. It really is important as for the acquirer to do their thorough due diligence on compromise assessment and do what they can to ensure that that, at a minimum, keep them at arm's length, but do what they can to at least ensure that there's some level 
level of cyber hygiene that is there before they integrate their systems fully. And this is a trend over the last several years where we think of M&A activities often involving full hospitals, one hospital acquiring another or a expansion of the integrated delivery network. We also have to keep in mind that those acquisitions many times will include a physician practice, which oftentimes tend to be smaller. The amount of support they've had internally to protect themselves against any sort of cyber attacks is very limited. And they're also oftentimes on standalone platforms that may be quite antiquated and older and vulnerable. We saw a couple of years ago, dental practices being a particular soft target for a lot of these criminals. And as the hospitals acquire and bring some of these practices on board during that transition time, they may be inheriting some additional vulnerabilities. There's also the flip side of the M&A perspective, which is we have a lot of third-party vendors that are merging. And those third-party vendors might be used by hospitals and healthcare systems. It's very hard to keep track of those various mergers and acquisitions in third-party spaces. That can change things like the security posture of a vendor or the data security agreements or various things. That's just another area from an M&A standpoint is keeping an eye on third parties and the acquisition of those third parties or mergers of those third parties and the security implications. I think that's a really good point that I hadn't thought of. Pete, what are the HIPAA implications surrounding this issue? Certainly in the case of ransomware, just encrypting the patient information, PHI, puts you square in the crosshairs of a potential data breach. At that point, you're, according to the at least current OCR guidance, you are required to prove that the data was not exfiltrated from your organization. And that's a very difficult thing to do oftentimes, especially when we're looking at large amounts of information. By its very definition, if the data is encrypted and you don't have the key, you have lost control of that information. From HIPAA standpoint, the ransomware is indiscriminate and it will work through a network very, very quickly and encrypt information. Oftentimes, the information itself is the actual data bits itself is not necessarily what the criminal wants. It is just the denial of the hospital or, or victim's ability to use that data and, frankly, their ability to pay. At that point, not only are you dealing with the ransom event, but you also have the looming notification deadlines and trying to reconstruct what data was there and all of that at the same time. It becomes a very stressful situation very quickly. So are most organizations carrying insurance to hedge against these kind of events? At this time, it's pretty standard for most organizations to be carrying insurance, although it is getting harder and harder to obtain cyber liability insurance. The bar keeps raising higher year after year. And the, the more ransomware events that you hear about and the more payouts that you hear about, the number of controls that you have to be able to demonstrate to the carriers is getting higher and higher and premiums are going up. So most organizations do carry it, but it is getting harder and harder. Randy, what are some of the pharmacy-specific implications we should be thinking of? This probably holds true for a lot of the clinical departments, not just pharmacy in general, but many of the plans that are put in place really are intended for shorter term events when we think of some of our disaster plans. These events tend to be much, much longer. And for any of the clinical services, unless you have a very robust and sustainable downtime plan to get you through these events, you can certainly exhaust the capabilities of your standard plans for other events. All hospitals have plans around natural disasters and active shooters and certainly now the pandemics, things of that nature. These tend to be shorter duration events. These cyber attacks, because they can themselves last days to weeks, the systems are being rebuilt and potentially months to fully recover from. A lot of clinical departments, I don't feel, are, are really well prepared to truly take care of not just their patients, but their staff through an extended event like that. And, and downtime plans just really haven't evolved to that duration. 
how can our pharmacy staff help with protecting our systems and ultimately our patients or ultimately their patients? From a systems perspective, I'm not sure pharmacy has any greater responsibility than anyone else in the organization. Certainly teaching hospitals potentially have some vulnerabilities, particularly those hospitals that are involved in research because of the amount of data that's kind of flowing back and forth. Obviously, pharmacy is generally one of the keepers of a lot of that information, and they may very well be accepting additional responsibilities in the safeguarding of that information. But certainly, a lot of it really is just being aware and exhibiting good behaviors and just appropriate actions, particularly in the exchange of information. Certainly, any of the clinical departments, it's just something we do in terms of communicating with others and readily exchanging information. But in doing so, we need to be mindful of where that information is coming from and whether or not it's actually safe and reliable. Pete, final thoughts from you on how our frontline staff can protect our systems and our patients? I think Randy did a good job of mentioning that just the general hygiene of keeping an eye on what email is coming in or what other avenues somebody might reach out to you. And it might be a SMS message, which is called smishing, where somebody's asking you to do something for them, buy some gift cards or something like that is very common. Again, phishing attacks, if you're not expecting that email, if you're not expecting an attachment or those sorts of things, don't open it. And we like to say here to our staff, report it. Most companies have a way to report suspected spam or phishing, delete it and tell your friends. Get on your Teams channel, your Slack channel and say, hey, I just saw this thing because it's very common that you're not the only one who received something like that, that other folks were targets in your organization. So just general good cyber hygiene is really important as well. Very insightful and illuminating. Pete and Randy, thank you both so much for coming on today to share your expertise. It's been wonderful having you. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. And to our listeners, please join us for more Verified Rx podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, and send us your comments. We'd love to hear from you. Verified Rx is your prescription for success and is brought to you by the Vizient Center for Pharmacy Practice Excellence. I'm Gretchen Brummel. Thanks for listening.